Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's q and I'm going to have to skip next week's because I'm going to be at the Retro Game Festival in Brazil in Sao Paulo, which I'm obviously thrilled to be at. So if you have any questions, just let them pile up in the comment section here. Basically, wherever it is that you support, just pick the newest Q&A post. So for the next two weeks, it would be wherever you found this one and post your question there. And I never skip questions. The only time I would ever miss them is whenever I accidentally delete it in post or if it comes in after I'm done recording, but before it goes up live for everybody else. So any questions you want, just let them pile up and I'll get to them when I get back. But let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up, over on Patreon, Shorjor said that since diving into RGB CRTs, they've always questioned what arcades are and what the appeal was, because they didn't have any arcade machines in the Faroe Islands where they grew up, and they didn't really see any until they moved to Denmark last year, but now they realize what the, the appeal is, short, high-quality games that are all right there and quickly accessible. So they've been thinking about making an arcade cabinet with that Luva CRT that they've mentioned in previous Q- Q&As. Because the goal is to get the arcade experience on their consoles by hooking up to an arcade cabinet via JAMA and wire the controller pins and all of that other stuff. So I actually think I would go about this slightly different. And doing what you would describe would require you to change the voltages twice. You would be going from your consoles to JAMA levels and then from JAMA levels back down to the CRT. So what I think you would actually need is a controller adapter. Things like the MC Cthulhu and the Brook Retro that allow you to take an arcade stick or build it into an arcade machine and then convert that to this signal of different controller consoles. So you could make cables that could go for SNES, Genesis, etc. However, I also think that a different first step might be easiest. So if you would like to build the arcade machine, the physical machine itself, go for it, especially if you have the talent and the tools already, it's never going to be a bad thing. So, you know, you might want to do that. If not, you could place your CRT somewhere and get yourself any kind of arcade stick. Uh, If you want to do it stand-up style, you could put the CRT on a higher shelf and then get a musical keyboard stand. So look at like uh, Jordan Rudis from Dream Theater as he's going nuts. He's pounding on those keys and it's not really moving. So you can get a nice solid stand like that to put your arcade stick on. And then maybe consider getting like a Mr. or a Raspberry Pi solution. So you could just try that entire stand-up arcade setup exactly as it is, but with the most the least amount of money and the least amount of configuration. And then from there, decide what you want. Do you still want the console experience? Or do you say, hey, the console experience was fun, but I really want to play arcade games this way. And then you could make your decision based on that. Maybe a Mr. Solution is all you would need anyway, or maybe you would want to have a mix of arcade boards and consoles, or maybe you're going to want just arcade boards. But each one of those would be a completely different path with a lot of different equipment, and you'd end up spending a lot of time and a lot of money. Now, I personally enjoy a lot of these projects, so that isn't so much of a big deal. It's just figuring out what you know for sure you're going to want to build. So that's why I would suggest just 
getting the cheapest and easiest solution to start. And especially things like sit out, sit down versus stand up. A lot of people prefer the candy cabs because you can get a nice stool and sit down, whereas other people really prefer the original experience of standing up in front of a cab. And right there, that's step number one. Do you build a stand-up or a sit-down arcade cab? So that's just my hints on where to get started with this. If you need more technical information, you're going to have to worry about voltages um, because consoles and JAMA are going to be different voltages for especially the sync line, but for other parts of it as well. And then what you send an RGB TV would be a slightly different signal than what you would send an arcade monitor, which means the output of the consoles and the arcade machines aren't going to match up. You would have to convert them before or after going into a JAMA switch or anything like that. And I'm glad to help with all of that, but that's going to be very confusing and you're going to definitely need to decide what your path is first. So do whichever you would like, but if you want an easy way to try this out, grab a Raspberry Pi JAMA hardware, or I'm sorry, a Raspberry Pi solution or a Mr. Solution. And then even if you did end up getting an arcade machine, there are JAMA versions available, but you wouldn't need to worry about any of that. You just take the RGB output of either of those solutions into your TV and then just either get an arcade stick with USB support or build your own and use a USB adapter, which there are plenty of nowadays where you could direct wire an arcade board to a one millisecond or less USB signal, which would be perfect to match up with a mister. So you could try both of those out, or I guess you could also try arcade controller adapters that would go to the consoles itself, but I think that's really a good place to start. But let me know what you think. It's a great idea either way. Next, Gemini Man said they love the CRT wall, and they want to know if I have any 32-inch CRTs in the collection. If so, how do I manage them given their size or weight? So thank you very much. I am so lucky that I was able to, to make that happen. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, the, that's a D32, the widescreen one. And then that's actually a 36-inch JVC. And you could kind of see if you're watching on video, there's wood shelves underneath those. So the trick for these is... First, well, there's a few tricks in managing them. First, you have to either be strong enough to lift them or have a friend over, which I'm usually able to lift all my own CRTs, but anything over 27 inch, I really like to have a friend here just because if something goes wrong, if your foot slips, whatever else, you're not putting all of that weight on you or on one thing. You have somebody there to take the load off. But yeah, that 36 inch, by the way, that's heavy. I picked that one up myself a bunch of times and I don't recommend it. But as far as storing them, there's two things that I, I've done. First is get a shelf with, or get a rack with shelves that are rated at strong enough weight in order to hold these things. But a lot of them come with wire mesh on the bottom. The cheaper ones come with pieces of wood, but there's also a thin lip and it just makes me a little nervous for the very heavy ones. But on top of the wire mesh, I tried to put a thicker piece of plywood. When I say thicker, I don't mean a very thick piece of wood, but not a super thin, um, not something that looks weak, you know, something that could hold the weight. Because all of these monitors, the, uh, the RGB monitors I use, have feet, which means all of the weight is being put into very small places. So on the wire rack, it's kind of, you either have to balance it very carefully or the feet fall in between the, the wires. And even with consumer-grade TVs that usually have flat bottoms, it's way easier to slide them around. And one of the things I do all the time is spin that 36-inch around so I can get to the inputs and back. And it was almost... It felt dangerous when I did it on just the wire rack only, whereas now on the wood, everything's in place, nothing moves around, it just slides much easier. So that's definitely what I would recommend for, for managing them in a stationary place. 
The other trick I've been using for a long time is using wire wheel racks. And all of those are good. It's the same things you would want to consider putting wood down. Um, you would want to make sure that the weight is distributed properly. Remember with CRTs, the weight's always in the front. The one thing that I will always say though, is make sure that when it comes to at least the casters, the wheels, don't get the knockoffs. And I know I've told the story before, but the D32 when I was in New York was on a wheel rack. And at one point I started to notice, you know, it was harder to turn. It was harder to wheel around. So I contacted a friend of mine, John, who was able to point me in the direction of the real stuff, not the cheaper knockoffs. And I bought, it was, you know, 400 bucks or something like that, but I bought a rack that was meant for restaurants and the casters you had to hammer in. You didn't screw them in. So they were very solid. There was a, you know, it was definitely a heavy duty piece of equipment. And the day that I had built it, my friend Beast was going to come over to help me move the D32. And I was lining up everything so that it would be the same height off the ground because I had measured it so that when I'm sitting on my couch, it was at the perfect viewing angle. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, hmm, this isn't lined up correctly. Did I did I place the racks in the wrong spot? Did I have them at an angle? And I looked closely and one of the wheels on the cheap knockoff rack had backed itself out because they were the screw-in kind. And it was just hanging by a thread. So I got that like mom strength thing and I just grabbed the D32, I picked it up and I put it up on the other one, which the weight isn't as bad as the fact that it was just almost too wide for me to get my arms all the way around onto the handles. And I was able to plop it down and when I took the old rack and wheeled it out of the way, the wheel fell out and the rack fell over, which means two or three more turns with the D32 on it, it would have slid off the front and smashed the glass. So please let my almost disaster be a lesson to you. If you're going to put big, heavy, especially rare and expensive CRTs on the wheel racks, get the good wheels. Those casters will never pop out. That one, I have it, I still have it as like a secondary desk here. That's what I was using as my desk when I first moved into this place. And I think that thing's rated at like 2,000 pounds or something like that. So that's definitely my suggestions for those. Um, any other questions, let me know because, uh, you know, I love helping out people with stuff like this. Turns out too, Jonathan from Scanline City has the same rack and the same D32 and did the same thing that I did. So um, that one's definitely, uh, these are just industrial racks from Home Depot. There's no special one to get. Just go into like their, you know, a Home Depot or a Lowe's, go to the big giant rack section and pick up something like that. And they're not cheap, but they're definitely worth the price because I have, you know, all those CRTs stacked on it. Hector Santana wanted any game dev to know that the organization OTK has a contest coming up on June 8th where there's $50,000 being given out as well as the chance for games to be featured. And Hector posted an application form and some coverage of the events. So I don't really know anything about this. I don't know anything about, you know, what the details are, but I just saw $50,000 and a chance for game devs to win. And I wanted to share Hector's post with you all. So if you're a game dev, look into it. Hopefully it's all legit, but I just felt like it was worth sharing. Monty wanted to follow up about the whole shipping CRT ethics conversation from a few weeks ago, and there was an end to the story. They offered a compromise with a partial refund to the seller, which was a medical reseller, not a single person or especially not a member of the retro gaming community, and the seller ran out the clock, so eBay closed in favor of Monty with a full refund and no need to return, which is awesome. That's, you know, and it, it just goes to show you why be a dick? And I'm talking about the medical recycler. You offered a compromise 
and they were an asshole and denied, and now eBay sided in their favor. So, you know, if they were just polite, you would have saved them money and in, in aggravation. And when a case is closed against you, that's flagged on eBay. So if that happens a couple of times, they can get in trouble. So my whole everybody be polite to each other thing wasn't just blowing smoke. That, you know, that had a monetary result in this. So I'm glad that this absolutely worked out well for you. I'm glad that the CRT ends up ended up being fine. All you need to do is fix the dented sheet metal and plastic, but you know, it's still it's still a CRT for free that you get to work on. But I was kind of curious. Nobody really commented about my thoughts on it, which to me means that people mostly agree. Cuz generally speaking, when you go through comments, if people absolutely disagree and are mad that you said it, you're going to get a bunch of comments. But if people are like, "Yeah, you mostly got it right," or "Yeah, I agree," I hear nothing, which is cool by the way. It's totally fine. But uh I just I take that that everybody seemed to agree with my whole be patient, you know, try your best to work things out. And if you have to be an ass and and open up a case as you did, it seemed totally fine. But if anybody has any other thoughts, I'm all ears, but I think that was a good ending to what could have been a, a very aggravating story. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CapRev just picked up an analog Mega SG, and they wanted to get an EverDrive Pro for it so they could play homebrew games and, of course, Sega CD and stuff like that, but they can't find any in stock. Are there any good and safe alternatives to the EverDrive? Um, Not really in stock. So you could get uh, the Mega SD, which is the Terra Onion one. You could get the EverDrive Mega EverDrive Pro, which is Crix's. And of course, you could also jailbreak the analog Mega SG, which will not play Sega CD games, but it will play a lot of other stuff on there. So what I would suggest is jailbreak the console first because it's free. And when I say jailbreak, this is absolutely an official firmware that's coming from analog. There is no way anybody reverse engineered this to, to put out a potentially dangerous firmware. Just load the jailbreak firmware. And if for whatever reason you want to put it back to stock, you could always just go and load the stock firmware for it. But I'll leave a link to that. And at the very least, you'd be able to play homebrew and any other kind of ROMs directly on it. But if you want it for Sega CD support and a lot of the other cool things that it does, then I would suggest just checking out Crix's Twitter and website because they're back in production again. And I think he's starting to tweet every time he has a little bit of stock to put up. So I'll leave links to all of that stuff. But at the very least, you can get started for free now if you already have an analog Mega SG. 
Oliver Claire had a couple of questions that I would want to talk for hours about. So I'm going to make it super short. No disrespect. I don't mean to blow off your question. I just, I've been talking a lot about lag lately for all the right reasons, and I'm going to skim through the answers, but there's a lot more to it. First, when buying a new TV, how many milliseconds of lag would I consider to be very good versus acceptable versus unacceptable? And the answer to that is the total solution is what matters. So if you have a cheap panel, like the one I show in all of my videos, I think it was under $300 for a 42 inch TV, it's four milliseconds of lag and it's a terrible panel. There's lots of ghosting and um, it's edge lit, I think. So it's a low quality panel, but when it's that fast, you don't really notice. And on the flip side, if you have something like a newer LG OLED with BFI mode enabled, you're talking about over a frame of lag, but you don't really get any of that motion blur. So it feels less. And more importantly, both of those latency numbers stay solid. They don't vary. So it's a combination of the total quality of the panel, because it's, remember, lag isn't just a measurement. It's how your eyes perceive it on a panel. So it's the total the total quality of the panel mixed with if there's any variance in the lag with how much lag there is. And that's what a lot of people just and I haven't done the best job in explaining that total solution part. I got to get better. But even smart people, people that are smarter than me, don't seem to understand the combination of those things. And I hear all the time, like, 18 milliseconds of lag is nothing. Don't worry about it. Well, what's the context? That's the important part. So to answer your question, because I don't want to leave you hanging, when you're buying a brand new TV, if you're getting any of the LG OLEDs, don't worry about the numbers at all. They're low enough that you're not going to notice it, and they're gorgeous. If you're picking up a cheaper TV, I would definitely stay with anything under a frame of lag and make sure it has a game mode. Everything has game modes now, I think, but some TVs didn't for a while there. So that's pretty a pretty general but easy response. On the flip side, or on another question, you were looking over the time sleuth results and wanted me to explain the difference between top, middle, and bottom lag and why this is important. And this is another one that a lot of people like to talk about, but I got to give the shorter answer just in respect of everybody's time. I measure in the top left when I talk about my results, because when you're talking about latency, especially with things like measuring game scalers, what you're really measuring is how long is it taking for the signal to exit the game console and start being drawn on the panel. Now, in the case of CRTs with all of these original analog consoles, it's zero, at least in milliseconds. The time that the signal exits the back of the panel or back of the console or the time sleuth or whatever to the time it starts being drawn on the CRT is zero. So when you're measuring things like scalers, that's the measurement that's most important because anything else is panel related, not scalar related. When you're talking about just measuring lag on TVs, you're going to want to take the that one the most seriously. But I love that Christoph added the extra bars in re, uh, recent firmwares, recent being like the last year plus, so that you can measure all the way around. And that way you could see things like how the image is getting drawn. Is it drawn from top to bottom? And if you check out that last lag video I did, the myth busting one, that's where it really shows why you should measure all of them for your own personal knowledge. Because you could see, is your panel flipped upside down like the ones that I saw? Uh, is it like a plasma where it's drawing the whole image at once? Which goes back to your first question, um, total lag. If a plasma is drawing the entire image at the same time, then two frames of lag 
really isn't two frames of lag. It's more like one. So total perception for there. But when you're talking about lag measurements, I'm always comfortable doing it on the top left. Every single argument that I've seen for doing it in the bottom right is missing a lot of information. It really just seems like, I don't mean to be insulting, but it just seems like somebody that doesn't really understand what they're talking about, um, but they don't realize that they don't understand what they're talking about. So they're very passionate telling us we're wrong for doing it the other way. And it's just not, I mean, it's been thousands of things that I've measured at this point for lag, and it's just not conducive to the total results. So there's my, you know, two minute answer. Wow, it's a five minute answer. Okay, I guess I'm really wordy. I'm sorry, but that's as short as I can get this without going into a very deep dive. But hopefully I can kind of clear up some confusion and point you in the right direction. Watermelon Bonsai has a Panasonic Tau HD CRT that displays 480p wonderfully, and they use it with Xbox, Dreamcast, Wii, GameCube, and PS2. However, since the PS2's library is mostly 480i, that's the resolution they're usually running at with PS2, and they feel like that's being deinterlaced, because the 480i signal isn't as sharp as it usually is, it's being a bit muddled. And they're thinking because that TV doesn't work right with 240p signals, maybe it's just trying to deinterlace everything that's 15 kilohertz. And I have two of these. I have one that's been on the rack, and that's one of my TVs I always watch the football games on when I do that crazy Back to the Future style thing. Uh, and I also have one out in the garage that's a friend's um, that's hopefully going to be a fun collab at some point. And the only thing I could say for sure is 240p doesn't work right on any HD CRT, and I would not recommend them for it. I'm not 100% sure what's going on, though. It's very likely that, yes, it is just deinterlacing everything that's uh, that's 15 kilohertz. But the only advice that I'll give is, you know, we'll do a deep dive into the, those TVs at some point. But it's zero lag at 480i, and it's zero lag at 480p. I've tested that with the Time Sleuth on both of the ones I have. So I guess I would just kind of hold off to see if there's any other information we could provide, but just know that you're not having a ruined experience because it's suddenly jumping up in the lag department, which is which is cool because a lot of HD CRTs do add some kind of latency to it. Um, so I really wouldn't worry about that. And the only other thing I could suggest is using GSM to force as many compatible games as possible to run natively in 480p from the PS2. So um, great CRT. It's absolutely an awesome one. And you're right, 480p is pretty much perfect on it, but hold off for a better explanation on 480i because who knows, maybe we could figure something else out on it. Um, and, and I'm not really sure what we'd be able to do, but before doing a deep dive, I don't really want to give any solid info other than don't worry, it doesn't have lag. Oliver Clare wanted to follow up from the question from last week about the complicated setup with all of the different consoles in it, and they were looking for a matrix switch. In respect of everybody's time, I'm not going to go through the question, but basically they were looking for a way to take console one and output it to display one, and then console two and output it to display three and select whichever one they would like. And that is essentially a matrix switch. So that's when you would want to look into any of the Xtron devices, either VGA or BNC, so the Crosspoint line or the other ones, and see if any of those suit your needs. They can handle all signals, so it will handle composite video and S-video, but you'd have to use the correct ports for that. You cannot send composite video over the sync line 
So you're just going to have to keep all that stuff in mind. And whenever you send something to the cross point, it has to be C-Sync. So those are the things to kind of keep in mind, but that is the direct answer to your question. Now, what you'll need to figure out now is the total solution. Is changing everything around to a bunch of BNC cables or RCA and just get some cheap adapters and go into your cross point, is that going to be the easiest way to do it? Or have you already purchased a whole bunch of stuff and you need to add different kinds of switches into it or different kinds of setup? That's going to kind of be yours to decide, but I wanted to at least point you in the right direction and say, look into the Extron Crosspoint stuff or any other matrix switch that can handle 15 kilohertz RGB signals or possibly others. Dude Dudson recently put together a RetroNAS setup for use with their Mr. and PlayStation 2, and it stopped connecting to their Mr. coincidentally after a hardware swap. Um, which leads me to believe that it could be a couple of different things. But some basic troubleshooting steps are always to unplug everything, wait a couple minutes, plug everything back in. That is the universal nerds try to fix it for everything you could imagine. Um, and so basically just make sure the server's rebooted and make sure your mister's got a fresh boot going to it. And, you know, so not, not a soft boot, you know, pull the power count to 30 and plug it back in or something, whatever. Um, and I also would recommend unplugging the HDMI cable from the mister and anything else because I've seen sometimes power backfed to the mister through an HDMI device. So basically just make sure to do a full power cycle on all of the equipment. The other thing you might want to double check too is can you get an IP address when you're connected, when your mister is connected? So basically wait for your mister to fully boot. Um, hit the menu button or the back button and then go to the left and you should be able to see an IP address. And you should also be able to see like the Wi-Fi emblem if you're using wireless. And that's definitely something to look out for because I constantly have problems with the Wi-Fi dongle in my mister and all of my misters and all of the Wi-Fi dongles I've used. So that is often an issue. And if you're not connected properly to Wi-Fi, then you're definitely not going to be able to access anything. If you're using a hard network connection, or if at least you could do that to test, if you could just plug an Ethernet cable in just for one test to see, that would be better because that would eliminate the Wi-Fi module and any of the other Mr. hardware because the network jack is built right into the DE10. The other thing you could try is just, can you access RetroNAS from your PlayStation 2 or your other PCs? If you had set up the CIFS mount file or anything else with an IP address and RetroNAS was DHCP, then when anything rebooted, it could potentially have gotten a different IP address. So those are some things to start you out. Please let me know what you find, but hopefully it'll be something super easy like the Wi-Fi dongle or just the IP needs to be changed. Tiago Santos said that they've been messing around with their PS2, trying to force games to run in 480p using GSM. And some games run awesome. Most don't. They have some kind of crazy side effects to them. So they wanted to know if there's a definitive list out there that shows game compatibility and which ones work with progressive modes. I do remember there being one out there, but I also remember it not being totally accurate. And... Just to clarify that last statement, it could also be that it's a perfectly accurate list that just happens to have two or three mistakes and that happen to be the games that I used. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily mean it's a bad list. I just mean the experience I had it didn't quite line up. So Tiago wants to know if, if there's something else out there or if that would be interest to the console mods wiki. And I would love to see this on the console mods wiki. And 
if that other list still exists, I'll look it up. And I don't know if I could find it, I'll drop a link in the description here. But maybe everybody would be willing to work together. And, you know, maybe it's already an established list somewhere. So we could just leave a link on console mods and point people to it. Maybe they'd want to join forces and then just throw it up on this server. And either way, I'd like the idea of everybody collaborating on one one thing with for this, just so problems like this don't exist. You could just go and already look up what games work, what don't work. And if you don't know, or if you want to give it a try anyway, you could always just double check any of the games that are listed. So great question. I'll try to find the link to that other one, but if not, um, maybe this is something we could host on console mods. Couple of questions from Mad Mardigan. First, they offered to send me a Mr. Multisystem to do a review on, and I have to politely decline for a couple of reasons. First, I am backlogged for months. I have to try to stop taking on new projects because I'm killing myself trying to jam all of this stuff in. Uh, I, in fact, the the video that's coming out and hopefully in a day or two is one that I thought was going to be a quick and easy one, and I'm like. 30 hours into it already. So I I can't really do any other deep dives. Um, But also because Neil had offered to send me one once the next batch comes through to, you know, to review and then pass on to the next reviewer. So I had already allotted the time for that, but I can't take on anything else. And if I do, it would most likely be something that I would say, okay, well, who is an expert in this stuff? So if somebody sent it to me to review, I might send it to somebody else and then just do a section myself on it and give it to them to add to their video. And that's the stuff I'd like to start doing more of because it's less it's less pressure on me to do everything for one review, plus run the website, plus do, you know, it's, I don't want to sound like a whiny ass that's unappreciative because I do love this stuff, but there's just too many hours in the day. Um, so thank you. But uh, to anybody that would offer to send me that, reach out anyway, because it might be something that I could put in the hands of another reviewer and help out with. But the answer most likely is going to be no for a direct review, but I will absolutely help. Uh, for stuff like the Mr. Multisystem, there's some good reviews out there anyway, and I obviously trust Neil and Richard. So I'm not worried about that, but I would like to take a look at it from the perspective of how it differs from case options, because that's the big thing with Mr. Mr. is always going to perform like Mr., but maybe you only need RGB SCART, so you pick up a Retro Castle case and a Saturn SCART cable. Maybe you only need component video, so you pick up one of the, I don't know, one of the pork pork shop cases and and just use a VGA to, uh, converter, one of the pass-through, or maybe you want composite, so now you got to figure out which one of those that you want. That's the type of, of Mr. comparison that I would want to do. And also, uh, Mad wanted to ask, is it easier or better to run this setup through their Tink 5X or set up Mr. for higher display output. They're going to be the same. I personally would say if you have a setup where you're going directly into a flat panel, then I would just go Mr. Direct. If you have a setup where you have a matrix switch and you want to select which things are going where, and maybe you want to use direct video for future dual RAM setups, then I would use Mr.'s analog output and run it that way. But that's a very niche case. And unless you use direct video, I don't really think that's going to be a thing. So, and if you're not asking about direct video, you're most likely not using it. That's not a dig. That's just, that's just a fact, right? (laughs) Like, so yeah, I really wouldn't worry about it. Another one for Mad Mardigan. They said they're about to pick up the same TV that I RGB modded with Jose a few years ago, a Toshiba. And I had mentioned during that video that it had some issues. Um, The issue was simply that 
I believe Jose tried to use one of the inputs to run sync and it shifted the image all the way over. So he moved it to a different, I think he moved it to a composite video or S video or something. And that shifted the image back center. So that's just one of the many things you have to deal with when RGB modding. And hopefully there's some new kits coming out that might make that easier. We'll see. But yeah, it's one of those things where if you've RGB modded a bunch of TVs with the jungle chip, it's an easy fix. If you've never done it before, you'd have to figure out what's going on with it and then kind of go from there. Uh, I never did make a follow-up video on that for a million reasons. I do hope to at some point, but I want to go in-depth on that. I want to really show and explain the differences and what's going on and, of course, the dangers. Um, but you mentioned instead of RGB modding it, should you just use the component inputs with a converter? Yes. Um, to be honest, in almost every case, if you have a TV where you connect your console through the component video input and it looks fine, I would not RGB mod it. There's so many things that can go wrong. There's so many other, you know, just things that are, unless you do this all the time, it's a problem that you're going to go, well, what the heck do I do now? And then you'd have to figure out who you could talk to, jump on forums, hope people are around to help. And the quality is very minimal. And I'm still convinced that while we didn't do a super deep dive into this, that the biggest difference was just simply bypassing the onboard everything in order to get in directly to the RGB inputs. I did try this experiment on a different TV where I um, did some screen captures, then I recapped it, did some more screen captures, and there was a bigger difference than it was with the RGB mod. There were also a lot of other factors involved in that one, so I didn't want to make a video because it could have been a few other things, but my point in word vomiting all of this is just that you're not going to get the jump in quality from component to RGB that you would that you would justify all of the time spent. And if you do get a jump in quality, it's not because of RGB versus component. It's just because you're bypassing whatever onboard circuits and capacitors are there. So really, honestly, in most cases, just use the component video inputs, get a RGB to comp from you know the RetroTINK product, or just use all HD RetroVision cables or something. And that really should be, should be your first step and kind of go from there. Um, Lastly, who would I recommend for caps to recap with? Yeah, if console five has a kit in stock, definitely. If not, you're going to have to make your own cap list. And if you do, please submit that info to the console mods wiki. You know, your TV model, the board revision, and the C number. So on the board itself, it's like C20, C30. Write down the number of the cap, uh, the number of the pad, and what each of the caps values are for all of that. Demo Kirby said they recently got their hands on a 32-inch JVC D-Series TV. Congrats, I have one. They're awesome. I absolutely love it. Um, they want to use it in the opposite corner of their game room for light guns and social gaming. They want to get it a little higher off the ground than most TV stands designed for them, though, because you could stand up and use the light gun games with them. So they were curious about heavy-duty storage rack recommendations. So what I talked about before with Gemini Man is exactly the same answer that I would give to you. I'm not trying to brush off your answer. I just don't want to repeat myself for everybody listening. But look for those wheel racks, like the restaurant wire rack shelves with 
good solid wheels, you know, the caster ones, and get a piece of wood for the top of it. And, you know, cheap plywood's fine. Just cut it to fit directly in, place the TV on top of that, and you could adjust the height to your liking, and I think that'll be the best answer. You could get the knockoff ones without wheels and just put stands in the bottom, and that would be fine. I still would recommend wood for weight distribution. Uh, or I guess you could even try a combination of both. Maybe you could try to find a knockoff, but just buy really good casters. Either way, just don't make the same mistake I did and let the wheels back themselves out. But yep, just reference that other question and that should be all the answers you need. Andrew Jennings has a couple questions. First, what solutions do I recommend to split a VGA signal from a PC? Any kind of powered distribution switch. So it could be a powered switch with multiple in, multiple out. It could just be a video distribution amp. So one VGA in, two out. You could use any of the Xtron RGB interfaces. So they have both a VGA pass-through and BNC outputs. So just use a BNC to VGA cable. You might be able to get those very, very cheap. But any powered solution that's designed for multiple outputs would solve that. From there, what DAC would I recommend to take that VGA signal to HDMI to capture via an AVIO capture board? Um, do the AVIOs, are those the ones with the DVI inputs? Because that might just take VGA directly. So I would try that first. You might just need a very cheap um, converter for that, just a, um, a pin converter, VGA to DVI analog. But assuming it's not, what I would suggest is one of two things. If you're on a budget, get any of the cheap decks from my Amazon page, cross your fingers that it works out well, because with all of that stuff, especially in a global part shortage, um, you could buy 10 of them and nine will be fine and one won't. So just make sure to get it from a store like Amazon where you could return it if it doesn't work. But when you're going from any kind of analog signal, there's a lot of other things that you could do to it. So you could consider an open source scan converter as well if you're looking to scale the image or anything like that. Uh, I think for going into a capture solution, a cheap DAC is probably the way to go. But just remember that the OSSC could do it too, and any other type of scaler like the RetroTank 5X with the HD15 Discard adapter, any other thing like that would probably work. So uh, I'll, it's just retrorgb.link forward slash cheap DAC, but I'll leave a link in the description just in case. Roy Meiser took Steve's passive sync combiner signal that I put on RetroRGB and wanted to make some PCBs for it. And they ordered them, but they accidentally used a 100-ohm resistor instead of a 10-kilo-ohm resistor. Do I think this would be a problem? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially if that's controlling any of the voltage that goes through, that would be a major problem. So you're going to want to make Steve's circuit the exact way that he made it. And also just know that that passive XNOR sync combiner isn't the one solution to rule them all. There's a couple of scenarios in which that might not work but it's still a great solution. It's what the HD15 Descartes uses. Um, and I think it's really, it, because of how cheap and easy it is to make, I think that's definitely a great place to start. So honestly, I would I would take the time to replace those SMD resistors because you just don't want a chance sending the wrong voltage to something like that. Cam has a couple of questions about using safe signals with their Sony 20E1U BVM. Is it safe to pass resolutions other than those natively supported by the BVM through it when it's powered off? If not, after what generation of console should I avoid using the BVM as a pass-through device or even having it in the chain? So that's a question that I don't know the definitive answer to. 
the one thing I'm pretty sure of if is if it's off, meaning the the not in standby mode, but the power switching back that kills all power to it. I'm pretty sure. Please don't take this as fact. Please, everybody double check with me on this. But I'm pretty sure if the power is being cut, all you're doing is just looping the signal directly through, and it's not actually going through any any chips or components. So I'm pretty sure it would be zero harm. And in that same respect, it most likely would also be not causing any problems if it was in standby mode. The only thing that it would is if obviously if it was powered on and you're sending the wrong resolutions, it messes with the power circuits and it can be a bad thing. Generally isn't for a second or two, but if it's an older BVM, which all of these things are getting older now, you don't want to chance it. So my guess is if it's powered off, you should be completely fine. But I would really love some confirmation from experts about this just to make absolutely sure. And under the assumption that it is not safe, I would say anything that's not a 15 kilohertz signal, you would not want to put through. But I think you will be safe. Also, they got their mistress set up for use on the BVM. Could it output any resolutions that could harm the monitor? All the cores seem to work fine, and they're not sure if there's anything released yet that would be high enough resolution to cause damage. So in your setup, when you're using the I.O. board, I don't think that you would have any cause for harm. I think that maybe there's going to be a core or two that could only be 31 kilohertz, but that's just up to you just to be make sure that you're there in front of it when it boots. So if you're using the same couple of cores you've always used and they look good, awesome. But if you're about to try a core for the first time ever, then you might want to just sit in front of your monitor, power it on, and once... Once the core loads, if the screen goes crazy, power it off right away and you should be fine. I might be wrong about this one, but I'm pretty sure that if you damaged your monitor because you sent the wrong resolution for two or three seconds, that monitor was going to die anyway very, very shortly. You maybe lost a few weeks, maybe, maybe months out of it, but I've never seen a monitor in good condition die because of two seconds of bad signals being sent to it. It'll make some weird noises, which is a little freaky, but yeah, I think that would be it. The only other thing is if you're using direct video, um, I would just make sure that you would you would have the direct video be the default INI file. And you can switch between multiples, but that's the only thing is you might accidentally boot it in a higher resolution. Once again, you just power it off right away, but it's not really applying to what you're doing because you're using an IO board. So I'm pretty sure that would be safe, um, but just you know, pay attention and try to stay on top of it. Plutonio has an interesting question. They recently bought a brand new inbox CCTV. It's a 14-inch 600 TVL tube with composite and S-video inputs. And when they first started using it, it had a lot of interference. But after using it for a couple of weeks, they're noticing that the image is getting progressively better. Have I ever experienced something like this before? Um, It could be a whole bunch of different things. It could have been sitting in a warehouse for so long, pointing exactly due east or something and then you pick it up out of that warehouse you drive it home and now it's pointing the exact opposite direction and the magnetic field that the crt generates has been affected by the earth's magnetic field for so long that it took a while to calibrate itself maybe a degaussing wand could have helped if you had done that right away that's a guess and that sounds like bullshit science fiction but that is absolutely plausible because i had sold an arcade machine to somebody across the other side of the U.S., and the U.S. is very, very wide. 
So the magnetic field was actually different where they lived than it was where I lived. So in order to fix it, they tried a degaussing wand and they actually just rotated the um, the arcade machine a couple of times as the day went on and it eventually got rid of some of the interference. So that could be it. That sounds weird, but that could possibly be it. It could be some kind of break-in period. It could be components needed to heat up and cool down a little bit in order to start working properly could be that your eyes are just getting used to composite video, which I don't, you know, it could be a whole bunch of different things. And the other thing too, that you need to remember is that in most countries, analog video standards have been completely discontinued. So like you can't do, and your cable box won't work the way it used to and all that other stuff. So it could just be that there's something else around you that had interference that also got moved. And it would never interfere with a flat panel TV, but maybe it would interfere with a CRT. And great proof of this is the video I posted a while back. I think I posted in another video and on social media showing what RF looked like in the middle of Manhattan versus what RF looked like in the middle of a warehouse in the Burbs with not much interference. And it was a massive difference. So that was just kind of more of an example of if there's a lot of interference around you or not, how that could affect it. Now that's also RF only. That doesn't ever apply to composite in that scenario, but I'm just using that as an example to maybe you, maybe your neighbor has a microwave that's broken that's affecting it. I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm that one I'm kind of just, you know, guessing to the answer, but there just could be more factors involved in that. So I would say congrats on the getting the cool CRT, keep using it and, and hope that everything just works itself out and it stays nice and clear. Marcello Medini said they're trying to use a power-based mini in order to play Sega Master System games through their triple-bypassed Model 2 Genesis. And it all works fine on a different Model 2 Genesis, but they're not getting any audio when they're running it through their triple-bypassed one. So I have one here, so let's give it a shot. So it looks like it's working on mine, but I'm not really sure what the difference is. I have the PowerBase Mini FM, which should be pretty much exactly the same, and I'm using a Genesis Model 3 that Jose Triple bypassed for me, but the theory is all the same, and I don't think that there would be any channels missing. If you have an EverDrive that you want to double check this with, that would be really helpful, because then you could run an SMS game through the ROM cart, and if it works through the ROM cart, but not your PowerBase Mini, that could be a different factor. So... Sorry, I don't really have an answer for you, but I'm kind of curious as to what the problem is as well, so if you ever find it, please follow up. Sanghee said they're looking to put a Dreamcast into a new NetCity cab to run light gun games. Is there a specific model of Dreamcast that I would recommend, or a specific model of VGA converter that I would recommend? So, first, that sounds awesome, but there's a few factors, and I can't remember off the top of my head which one applies, so let's work through it real quick. First, any model of Dreamcast that supports an optical drive emulator is the one that I would recommend. There's only one uh, one revision that doesn't, and it's just because these drives are going to die at some point, so you might as well plan ahead now. If you don't have the ability to figure out which is which, I would just pick up whatever and use CDs for the time being. Next, the brand of VGA converter I would recommend. So there's a few things. I forgot, do the new net cities support 31 kilohertz? If not, is it 15 kilohertz only or 1524? That's when you're really going to have to worry about, are you just pin converting and sending 480p? 
or is there going to be some kind of conversion? And in that case, would you want to just run the Dreamcast in 15 kilohertz mode and then convert that to JAMA levels? So those are the questions that you're going to have to answer before we move forward. But if it's a 15 kilohertz only cab, you could just do an RGB to JAMA conversion. Um, if it accepts VGA, you could just get a retrobit VGA cable and plug it right in. But you're going to have to just double check. There's so many similar named cabs that I could never remember off the top of my head. I got to look it up. So I would definitely recommend looking into the one that you personally have, but that sounds like a really awesome and fun idea. So definitely stick with it and let me know if I could help any further. Monty wants to know if I had any different thoughts on two different brand Mr. Add-on boards. And my answer is always the same, regardless of which ones you're asking about, in that almost every one of these boards is going to be the same quality. They're just going to offer slightly different features and a slightly different way to go about doing it. So that's what I would concentrate on is feature set. I haven't found a bad one yet. The only thing I would always say to look out for is if you're going to buy off of eBay or AliExpress, make sure you know the seller. So the perfect example, Retro Castle is on AliExpress and he sells awesome stuff. And on the flip side, I have seen some pretty low quality stuff come from both platforms. So that's the only caution I would ever say. But like, just because they're on those platforms doesn't mean they're bad, but it also means that you have no idea who's making those boards. And it could look the same, or they could have stolen a picture off of somebody else's site and sold some junky ones. You never know. But that's the only advice with Mr. Stuff that I would, I would ever give, is just make sure you're buying it from a reputable known source, and you should almost always be fine. Yebo had a question and some suggestions about the whole off-topic video thing I've been talking about for a few weeks now. And in respect of everybody's time, I don't know if you're all sick of hearing about this, so I put Yepo's question at the end just so that, you know, if you're not interested in this, you could just drop off right now. But if you were kind of curious, Yepo said, how about a Bob channel for off-topic videos? And there's a couple of major problems with that. So to go over this and to very quickly skip to the end, the goal of Retro RGB is to promote as many people in the scene as possible, as best as I possibly can, while still being able to pay my bills. That last part is selfish, but it's how life works. I would love to do all of this for free if I could, and then just have a magical house fairy pay for my <laughs> pay, pay for my mortgage or something like that. I would love to do that, but that's not real life. So I have to find a balance. And also, anything that I do takes away from something else now. And I'm not complaining. I love doing this for a living. I love what I do. But if I take the time to do a video on eyebrow trimmers, something else isn't going to get done. And that's already happened with my music hobby and that I just don't even play guitar anymore because I just wake up and work until I can't possibly do another minute of work anymore, fall asleep and do it again. And while I like it, while I like doing that, the, you know, I like the work that I do and I like the people that I get to work with. The bottom line is if I, all kidding about, you know, eyebrow plucking videos aside, if I made a video about something, that means it's really important to me and I feel like it's information that other people would really want to hear. Or it's silly and fun and it's very little effort. But that's more of a live stream thing that I wouldn't... Anything that's little effort, I could do in a live stream. Anything that I'm putting together a video on takes a lot of time, especially the whole editing part of things. So if... If I had a video that I felt was very important and opened a new channel for it, it's going to get zero views. No one, Even if I do cross-promotion and promote it on Twitter and pay to have it promoted on YouTube, it's going to get nothing. Zero. 
So why would I bother doing that anyway? Why would I take away from possibly making a video about somebody else's project that I'm all fired up about and to do something that's going to not really get any views? Now, the other side of things, and what people have been telling me for years, is to rename RetroRGB's YouTube channel Bob. That's taken, but let's just for the sake of argument. And then take every video that's a low-performing video or a weekly and move it onto a brand new channel that I call Retro RGB. And the purpose of that would be anytime I work really hard on some of these high production videos, like the one I'm putting out in a couple days is, you know, it's like four full days worth of work to get that out. I stick that on the Bob channel, which already has a good amount of subscribers. And now all the other videos on there are all higher producing videos for, for as far as views go. And now that gets caught in the algorithm faster. So those videos get seen by a lot more people. I end up making, I might actually make some money off of YouTube for once, and that's great. And then I could put all that other content on the Retro RGB channel. So like super in-depth tutorials and the weeklies and the stuff that are, is important, but it's not ever going to be a high-clicked video. So that all sounds great in theory, right? But here's the problem. If the goal of Retro RGB is to promote other people, then that new channel with zero followers on it is going to have to rebuild all of that following. So right now, the weekly views are, are pretty high for something like this, for a niche thing on a YouTube channel. It's definitely been blacklisted probably a couple of times at this point. So it's very hard for me to be able to grow this, but it's still, I think there's like 6,000 average on YouTube. There's, uh, I think, a couple thousand on audio only and then some more sporadic elsewhere, but that's a fairly decent sized audience to promote other people's products. Because while I obviously talk about my own stuff on the weeklies when it's relevant, it's mostly promoting other people's stuff. So do I then put all of this on a new channel so that somebody who has a very cool project that everybody in retro would probably want to know about now has it seen by a couple of hundred people rather than a couple of thousand? That sucks. That's the opposite of what I would want to do. So that's the big problem in this, trying to find a solution that's going to be okay for everybody else that'll also work for me so I could still pay my bills and grow. And growth is something that, well, I don't want to get too into the, into the weeds with this. Channels have to grow to survive because affiliate commission payouts from Amazon and eBay and all of those places get lower every year. And there was a point on eBay where I was making significantly more than I, I almost make nothing on eBay now to the point where I was thinking of just taking the ads down because I might be able to put something else up there or nothing that would benefit me more. So you have to keep growing to, in order to maintain the same amount of income. So the goal is almost impossible to achieve. And no disrespect to you, Yepo or Mad, who, who chimed in afterwards. These were good suggestions. And without doing the research, you wouldn't know about any of this stuff. But anybody that's not you with polite suggestions, anybody that says they have the definitive answer and I'm not dumb for doing it is full of shit. There is no definitive answer. There is no easy solution. And YouTube is the last place you can go for help or anything like this. I couldn't even get an answer to why my channel may or may not have been canceled in Germany for, for a short period of time, let alone, hey, how could I help, you know, help other people while growing myself? So that's, it's a really, really hard problem to solve, which is why I've always chickened out and just left everything the same. Because every time I think I might have an answer, there's something that comes up that I realize this could do a lot of damage to a lot of the things that I already built. 
So that's why I'm being so cautious about this. That's why I'm asking your opinion. And that's why I'm also kind of taking everybody's temperature on what how you'd feel for videos that aren't quite a fit for retro RGB. And my guess is that if I did a video about VCRs, nobody would have nobody who mattered would have anything negative to say about it because it's still retro tech. It's still relevant to the things and the components that we use, and it would feel like a fit even though it's not video game related. But if I did the, you know, the unibrow trimming video, which I, you know, I was only kidding about that, but that is really funny to the point where I might have to find 20 minutes to make a silly video on that one of these days. But if I did that, that's not going to fit in at all. And that would be something that might hurt the channel. Maybe, maybe it might hurt the algorithm. I don't know. There's so many complicated things involved in this and it's, everything is so much more complicated when you care about other people as well. And I'm not patting myself on the back. That's just a fact. If I was only out to grow my channel and I didn't care about anything else, I want to grow my YouTube channel. I want to be able to make money off of it. So, you know, I could, I could upgrade my, my truck to one that doesn't clank every time I go around a corner. Then what I would have to do is basically buckle down, analyze the algorithm, see which of my videos are performing, see what other people's videos are doing, and basically steal, steal, steal. Steal other people's ideas, steal other people's thumbnails and base mine close to it. Um, take whatever hot topic is out and put my own spin on it with, with other stuff. Basically, to be a good YouTuber, you have to just be selfish and willing to do whatever to ride the YouTube algorithm wave. I will do none of those things, which is why I'm always going to be a failure on YouTube. But I would like to try to be able to tap into the audience for something else, just to try to help in other subjects that I've got a lot of knowledge on. Most of it is going to be tech related and most of it is going to be things that would sort of cross over like VCR related stuff. So I'm less worried about that. I'm just trying to find a solution to the long-term issue of can I still pay my bills in a couple of years while still growing everything to help everybody else? And if not, what could I do now to change that to ensure that to happen? So I'm all ears. Everybody's always got good opinions on this. Everybody's usually very polite. And at worst, I get comments from people that just don't really understand how the back end of the, these things work. And that's totally, totally fine. You know, what I was saying before about the people who come in hot, that I guess that's the same with every every commenter that knows what they're commenting on is right. They, they usually don't. But if you hear other, I guess that the other reason I'm saying it is not just to bitch and moan, but it's also to say that if you do hear other people say they definitively have an answer to a YouTube problem, they're usually full of shit because there usually is not a definitive answer to anything on there. So yeah, this is why I left this one for last. I'm rambling on for almost 10 minutes and most people probably don't care, which is totally fine. But anybody has any suggestions or anybody who's in a place of power that could help and whether by place of power, you know, maybe you're a YouTuber with 10 times the followers as me. Let's do something together to help promote everybody else. Or maybe you work for YouTube and you're like, you know what, Bob, you're actually wrong about some of that. If you just wore a purple hat twice a week, you can get twice the view. I don't, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you know, if you, if you're in a position to make a difference, please step up and try to do it because it's not about me and actions speak louder than words. Look at the channel and everything I've done in the past 10 years. It's obvious the effort that I'm putting into promoting other people. And I would love some more help with that. So 
I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll call it for this one. I'll, uh, you know, rant over explanation over. Thank you very much to everybody who participates in these. Thanks to everybody who sits through some of my rambling when I'm just kind of doing this train of thought. And while I will miss next week's, I'll be thinking about everybody while I'm out there. Hopefully I'll be posting across social media and, and hopefully I'll be able to do some fun videos out there too. Maybe I just live stream walking around or maybe I do that across other platforms. I don't know. I'll figure something out. I just, I'm not going to have all of my equipment with me, but I'm at least going to have a cell phone. So uh, I'll be able to get interviews and, and just talk to people and try to get something cool to show from Brazil because I'm so pumped to go. I can't wait to meet all my friends out there. Uh, and I think it's going to be a good time. So anyway, thanks to everybody who participates in these. And thanks especially to everybody who supports in any way possible. And I will see you all in two weeks. Hopefully, if everything goes right, I'll see you in two weeks.